Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. <laughs> We're doing different voices. <laughs> sure, mix it up a little bit. All right, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with mixing. All right, so... <laughs> Today, uh, we're going to talk about a form of theater that kind of is and isn't theater. Is it Schrodinger's musical? It's not, well, yeah, yeah, kind of, actually, kind of. Is it Black Schrodinger's musical? Well, so, what we're going to be talking about, and uh, before you say what I know you will say about it, it's not that kind. (laughs) It's, what we're going to be talking about are pageants. Oh, not that kind of pageant. Warren's got a little bit of ice in his water, but it's okay. It's making way too much... uh, Too much... (laughs) It's making way too much noise. (laughs) So, um, so we're going to be talking about pageants, which are a little bit of a hybrid type of theater. They're not quite theater, but not quite... A parade. So pageants aren't just women in skimpy outfits walking onto a stage and saying that they want to fight for world peace and then usually don't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> I, I totally don't hate pe- beauty pageants, not at all. Um, but these are like, okay, have you ever been to a Christmas pageant? Where, like, they'll set up the little kids in a tableau looking like Mary and Joseph and the angel and a camel. Uh, yes, I, I... Now, what... <sighs> you're bringing up memories that have made me realize that I have been in a pageant before. You have! Like, like, uh, you know, like, Thanksgiving pageants. Yes! Kind of thing where they make kids yes. dress up and reenact things. And Yes, it's, that is a pageant! Um, I don't have good memories of it because it was not voluntary. It yeah. was... It was mandatory. <laughs> and you know how I feel with mandatory, quote-unquote, fun. Yeah, that's so that's what we're going to be talking about is uh, pageants like that. Or for Utah listeners, the LDS pageant that used to take place in Ephraim every year. Um, so they're kind of a way to tell history in sort of like a... In a processional format, kind of. Yeah, in a in a uh, loosely based on true events fashion, in mm-hmm. a uh, in a how can we cram history into yeah a quick event that nobody really wants to be in or attend, um, <laughs> except for the one we're going to talk about today. Okay, so this was all voluntary. This was all voluntary. Okay. Um, the the ones that you're forced to do in school aren't voluntary because it's school and the nature of school is to not be voluntary. (laughs) So for a time, America kind of wanted to set itself apart from the rest of the world with their theater. And so in the early 1900s, pageants kind of were the way for Americans to express themselves. So I'm going to quote Black Theater USA, which is probably my favorite book for any black theater subject, and everyone should get it. It's on Amazon. It's great. Um, Pageantry, extremely popular during the first quarter of the 20th century, was viewed by some as a precursor to a national theater, which became intensely sought-after goal at at a time when uh, dramatists were turning away from European models towards reflection of American life through a uniquely American form, primarily through the study of American folkways. Hmm, okay. Now, to be fair... To be fair... Pageants have got, have kind of been a thing for a long, long time. Oftentimes, there would be a processional of some sort, and there would be historical or religious scenes acted out, depending on what the pageant centered around. Uh, they were really big in Europe and still kind of are. Um, in America, you don't get them much anymore. You'll either have parades or you'll have plays, but you won't really have pageants anymore outside of more rural areas. Like I said, uh, Ephraim, Utah used to do a pageant, and I think last year was their last year doing this pageant every year that's about LDS history. Um, But otherwise, it's not really a thing that's done anymore. So according to Black Theatre USA, America really started getting into pageants during the centennial in 1876. 
And in Philadelphia, there was a pageant for the 100th anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. And uh, this is again from Black Theater USA. They said that Black residents had been asked to ride on three floats depicting their progress from slavery to freedom. While a number of African Americans appeared on the last float, none would ride on the wagon for slavery, even when offered money to do so. Wow. Yep. Now, this is kind of a theme right after slavery as well, um, but I don't want to get too much into it because other shows have covered it better. Um, specifically, The Nod covered it in their episode Jumping the Broom, which talks about the reasoning for uh, a period of time when black people would not jump the broom. Oh, okay. Because it was a holdover from slavery and they did not want to reflect on that gotcha. part of their history. But, um, it, again, it's fra the framing for it is jumping the broom, but the same reasoning applies to black people not wanting to be on this float about slavery in their pageant. Um, so to fall back again on... Th seriously, like, this book is amazing. Uh, they have an essay on the play we're going to be covering... Well, the pageant we're going to be covering called Star of Ethiopia. And this essay is by Frida Scott Giles. So um, she talks about how pageants at this time were an American history lesson and kind of a way for Americans to explore and express their identities. And intellectuals like W.E.B. Du Bois felt like this was a great way for black people to explore their identities as well. Um, and they... He also was thinking of them as a way, in his words, to reveal the Negro as human to white people. Oh, that sentence hurts my soul. There's going to be a little bit more soul hurt in a sec, and I'm so sorry. So, Du Bois was not a playwright, but pageants aren't typically written like actual plays. Uh, the one we're going to be covering is written in an outline form. But this pageant, Star of Ethiopia, was incredibly successful. And we'll talk about it in a moment. But first, I want to do just a really brief look at Du Bois. Only brief because I feel like other podcasts, again, that focus more on overall history would cover this better. I'm going to take a quick look at my boy, Du Bois. Gosh. <laughs> All right. So William Edgar Burghardt Du Bois was born February 23rd, 1868, in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. So now, where he grew up, things were more integrated, and this would lead to a bit different of an upbringing that we'll get into in a sec. So his mother, Mary Sylvania, was a mixed-race woman descended from Tom Burghardt, a slave who was owned by a Dutch colonist, and Tom may have actually earned his freedom by fighting in the Revolutionary War. And uh, Du Bois' father, Alfred Du Bois, was the grandson of a Frenchman and one of his Haitian slaves. Uh, Alfred actually ended up leaving Mary two years after William was born, so William was raised by his mother with the help of her family and neighbors in Massachusetts. Like I said, it's an integrated community that was mostly white. Totally don't know what that's like. Stairs in black, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Stairs in black, so, he did experience some racism from his peers. Again, totally don't know what that's like. But he also experienced a lot of support from his community in general. Like, his teachers were really influential in his life, and his whole community and his church came together to make sure he'd be able to afford tuition to Fisk. Now, Fisk is a black college in Tennessee. Tennessee in the 1800s is very different from Massachusetts in the late 1800s in that the racism is a lot more visible. A lot more out and proud. Yes. This is where Du Bois first experiences Jim Crow and lynchings. <laughs> and um, we'll not talk about lynchings in detail in this episode because that's not the focus of this episode, but he was down there right before the lynching of black Americans reached its peak. So this was 1885 to 1888 was when he went to college. And 
all of his experiences in Tennessee would have a very profound effect on Du Bois' writing and on the activism he would achieve later in adulthood. Um, before we get back to his foray into theater, I'll talk a little bit more about just some of his achievements. But again, other shows could cover this way better. So, Du Bois was an, was an attendee to the first Pan-African Conference of 1900 and was a major part of the letter addressed to the nations of the world, in which a lot of black civil rights leaders appealed to Europe to, you know, not be racist and colonistic. Um, he would continue writing letters, essays, and books imploring whites around the world to treat black people as humans, and he was one of the founders of the NAACP, and was actually the one who suggested that it be the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People rather than black people, because in his words, it was for the advancement of dark-skinned people everywhere. Makes sense. Oddly enough, most of the executives at this time, and even the president of the NAACP, were white. Really? Yes. So because there they were decent white people. There were decent white people at this time. Good. And you'll you'll see that there's a lot of good allies at this time and that's why it is so important for people to be allies but also to listen to the group that you're allied with. So if you're a white person wanting to be an ally for black people, listen to what black people need rather than what you think black people need. <laughs> Same as if you're an ally for gay people, or an ally for trans people, or an ally for ace people, or an ally for disabled people. You've got to listen to what they need. Don't put your own thoughts on what you think they need, because often it'll be very different. So, off of that little soapbox, uh, let's get back to Star of Ethiopia. Like I said, this was a pageant aimed at all Americans. In fact, Du Bois knew that theater was one of the best ways to educate and appeal to all Americans, and this pageant craze was the best way to do it. Um, fun fact, he was also a huge supporter of theater, especially black theater, and he knew, like you and I know, that theater is not just for entertainment. It's a political tool, and so is film, and that's why I don't fault actors and directors for when they are political, because I'm sorry, but art is political. Mm -hmm. It's it's a mirror, and you gotta you gotta let them do that. Plus, if you participate in a society, you've got to be political. Everything is political. Yeah, because it's it, it's it affects it, our daily lives, or the world we live in. Like, yeah, it drives me nuts when people do the whole oh the Hollywood elite should stop saying things. It's like no, what they're doing in a lot of cases is using their platform of privilege to speak out. Granted, it would be great if a lot of the people who spoke out would do something about what they're speaking out about, but even just speaking out gives voice to concerns that everyone should be having, like speaking out about climate change or speaking out about animal welfare or speaking out about, you know, a little thing called human rights. Um, you got to have someone with a platform to do that. You can't, as much as I would like to say that us speaking about stuff on our little podcast will reach the whole world, I'm also realistic in knowing that people with more privilege will be able to say, hey, this is wrong what people were doing, and hey, the effects of racism are still being felt, maybe we should focus on, uh, on, on at least mitigating some of the pain and harm that's been caused, even if we don't fix it right away even though we've had a couple hundred years to do that, but that's beside the point. <laughs> no, a couple hundred years with a lot of resistance. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things that I, I don't fault celebrities for speaking out because at least they can have a voice. And if you're someone who's just, you know, like us, to lower middle class people without a major platform... You know, you don't have quite the reach as, say, Tom Hanks or as uh, Joaquin Phoenix or somebody like that. You know, I, I don't fault them for speaking out. There's my soapbox. Now I'm really getting off of it. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So 
Du Bois would often use his monthly NAACP magazine, The Crisis, to promote black playwrights, and he even would set up contests and stuff through the magazine so that these playwrights would get a little bit more of a boost and maybe have their shows performed later by other people. And he also created a theater company called the Crisis Guild of Writers and Artists, or Krigwa. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what Black Theater USA calls it. Krigwa. Krigwa. Sounds, sounds like a Native American word or something it's, like it's, that. And the weird thing is, is that it's not written as like an acronym. And it's not even like, the, it's a K instead of a C. I don't know. It sounds, actually sounds, I like don't a, know. sounds like a tribe, it, a tribe of humanity. These are the Krigwa people it, it, it's, of the Krigwa Valley. I might actually do a whole episode about Krigwa if I can find stuff about it, but I'll save it for a recap next year or something because I've already got enough on my plate this year. Krigwa sounds like what you would say, God bless you, or a kazoontight in a different language. It's like, <laughs> Krigwa! I have to find humor in the darkness, I'm sorry. We're talking about lynching, I'm gonna make a sneeze joke if I have to. Well, we're off of lynching for now, so. For this episode, we're off of lynching. Okay. <sighs> I'm pretty sure. I don't... I'm trying to remember if it shows up in the actual pageant, but I don't think it does. So, the first draft of Star of Ethiopia was drafted in 1911 under the title Jewel of Ethiopia, A Mask in Episodes. Now, there were originally six episodes or scenes in this pageant, and in this first draft, the jewel was sort of an allegory for freedom and was given to Ethiopia by Shango, who's the god of thunder. Ooh. Ethiopia is kind of chosen because this was the only African country that hadn't been completely colonized, and it was sort of this ideal for black people in the diaspora that, oh, this is a place that's been untouched. This is a place that black people are free, have been free. It's not like, because like Liberia, Haiti, those were places that were um, created by freed black people. Whereas this was a place that had always been there. Kind of a, um, a virgin environment, so yes. to speak. Like it yes. had, had not been It's the defiled. ideal. Yeah. And um, this jewel arrives in the United States by the end with a final scene that celebrates several black historical figures, such as like Queen Sheba, Nat Turner, etc., etc. Um, later drafts change the jewel into the Star of Faith. And the allegory kind of gave way to a more, this is what happened in history, this is where we came from, this is where we are sort of tableau. Um, in 1913, the outline was published in The Crisis as The People of People and Their Gifts to Men. Uh, the first presentation of this pageant was held at the National Emancipation Exposition from October 11th to 31st in 1913. Uh, this pageant boasted 350 performers and was directed by Dubois' former student, Charles Burroughs. And Burroughs was the one who translated this outline into something that could be staged, telling the tale of the oldest and strongest races of mankind whose faces be black. Uh, the scenes are broken into episodes, which we'll get into when I'm presenting it to you, and they're in chronological order. These scenes were all underscored by forms of dance and musical that would have been common for the time that the scene took place. In this first iteration of the pageant, 14,000 people attended. The Outlook of New York would call this an impressive spectacle, both, both from a historical point of view and as a forecast. Okay. So in 1915, it was performed again in D.C. on October 11th, 13th, and 15th at the American League Baseball Park. This production was just a little bit bigger than the original 350 performers. In this version, there were only 1,200 performers, <laughs> 200 of which were a choir that would perform the music, and the new and final title to this was given, Star of Ethiopia. Uh, the superintendent of colored education was deeply involved, and they brought in the colored district militia to perform the battle scenes. While this production didn't do well financially, everybody loved it. Cool. 
The Washington Board of Education even called it a remarkable spectacle of great educational value. There were two more performances of this pageant, one three-day run in Philadelphia in May of 1916, and one at the Hollywood Bowl in June of 1925. And uh, this would end up leading the pageant to have been attended by over 35,000 people in its entire run. Holy moly. This is despite the fact that the American Pageant Association was like, I'm sorry, star of what? They just Star kind of, of who? They kind of refused to acknowledge it. WB who? Yeah, they were because, you know, racism. Um, du Bois did write more pageants, but they were largely unproduced. Uh, one of them that Black Theater USA talks a little bit about is called George Washington and Black Folk. And it was sort of a look at George Washington's changing attitudes uh, towards black people throughout his life. So he was he was very into historical stuff and using history to frame the present and hopefully the future. Like to go, this is where we were, this is where we are, this is where we need to be. And like I said, other people can cover Du Bois better. I just figured let's stay focused on Du Bois' foray into theater and let other people cover his other literary achievements and civil rights achievements because his life could be probably three episodes and I don't want to do that to you. Okay. <laughs> at least at least not me doing it, and probably not me doing it to me either because it would be hours and hours of me disappearing into a little book cave and you wouldn't see me for a while, and then I'd come out and have inexplicably grown a beard that was scraggly and gray, and just, what time is it? You have birds nesting in it. Yeah. What day is it? What year is it? Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Everyone's aged around me. So on that note... <laughs> Thanks. So on that note, um, are you ready for the 1K production of a show that would normally be performed by a thousand people? Are you going to do a thousand different voices? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Luckily, it's outlined, so it's not going to be really... It's not going to be the same as the other plays that we've done. There's a lot of description so rather than... It'll be easier on your voice, hopefully. It'll be a lot easier on my voice. I'm very thankful for this. <laughs> Thank you, W.E.B. Du Bois, for the greatest break in tone-deaf history for me to not have to read a lot of words <laughs> in a lot of voices. <laughs> All right, shall we? Let's do it. Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah! Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Today, I want to highlight a podcast by one of my favorite black podcasters, Isaiah. This podcast, the Bird Brain Podcast, is a twice-a-week podcast, so on Monday, he will post some awesome affirmations and just great lessons for life. And then on Fridays, he will do his Night Owl series with some horror stories that he's written. So let me play this promo for you real quick from Isaiah. I hope you guys all tune in and listen. Feeling better for me is top priority mentally, physically, and emotionally. They all work together. Talking about the things that we all may experience but just don't quite know how to say. It really opens up some new dialogue and perspective. That's the goal here. Sometimes you gotta see yourself a little bit better and leave yourself alone because there are other people who see you for exactly who you are. And that's all good. We stay elevated here. But even Dr. Jekyll had a dark side. I mean, who doesn't love a good story to make the hairs on their arms stand up? I started to walk a little faster just figuring if it was probably someone trying to scare me. It was like a hazing, but this didn't feel right. Night Owl is the hangout for those horror fans looking for a little bump in the night. Monday Motivation, Friday Frights. 
We like balance here, and the Bird Brain Podcast has it all. Take flight. Sleep tight. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. All right, babe, so what did you think of that one? I thought that was really good. I am bummed that there's not, like, a recording to see because it... Right? Yeah, it, and I'm picturing it with, like, a, either 300 people or with 1,200 people, like, yeah. being performed. That would have been wild to see because mm-hmm. a lot of those scenes um, take place either in cities or, or just large environments where there would be a lot of people bustling back and forth. Yeah. Um, really good though like very a very it almost felt like an epic poem yeah it's kind of how it felt yeah um but yeah really cool i liked how it it's i like how how um not uplift well i guess a little bit uplifting but i, I guess the, the phrase that comes to mind is out and proud mm-hmm. be like we are black and black is great and let us tell you why yeah and uh but it's just really cool starting out with saying that the first gift that they they brought the the first gift of well is it the black men or like black people i guess the first gift black of the black people. people uh was the gift of iron and and let's mm-hmm. talk about the, the the this goddess had uh one hand was fire and the other hand had uh iron yeah basically how they had iron and that's kind of how they tamed the 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 wild continent of africa the one thing i i definitely didn't like though listening to it is that they they used the term savage a lot yeah and it seemed like they referred to themselves Mm -hmm. as savages and there was a little bit of that because when you're growing up in america and the only views that you have of africa are either egypt or the tribes in the jungle then that's true yeah, yeah. like i know i because even i had that that uh misconception growing up mm-hmm. that white settlers showed up into africa and it was just a bunch of tribes you know because yeah. you're never taught about cities you're never taught about they mm-hmm. have these vibrant cultures you never talk about that they were trading with Asia before Europeans were. Like, you never hear about that. Yeah, and another big thing of it, too, is sort of the mindset of those of us in post-agricultural life, where it's like, oh, well, this is what all humans should be doing, and anyone who doesn't is beneath us or is lesser. And as we saw with some of the videos that you and I have been watching talking about... um, the people of the Kalahari and of different tribal groups in Africa, a lot of them are actually happier or better off in cases. Even though they have less and their lives are not technologically, I don't want to say enhanced, but uh, but yeah, they they live simpler lives and they are happier. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of those things, too, that a lot of the, oh, well, these people are lesser, makes it easier for people in agricultural societies to take over where they live makes it easier to justify the things that they do when you see them as lesser it's kind of like it reminds me a bit actually of uh how the romans referred to everyone who wasn't roman as a barbarian yes because granted yeah they were a lot of people were european tribesmen and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. granted they didn't necessarily have big extravagant stone cities like rome yeah kind of thing but they were they were still people and they still managed to kick Rome's ass after a while. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got the bleep button, so we're fine. <sighs> I... You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then it talks about that the second gift of uh, of the black people was uh society, was civilization kind mm-hmm. of thing and and uh, they they talk about it being Egypt and it is what is interesting about some of this stuff is uh it hasn't necessarily aged well, historically speaking. No, it has not. So, like, a revision of this could actually be really good and really yes. powerful. I would love to see a revision that it, that has... Because, you know, um, not so much that we... Well, yeah, we do know more, but that's because, you know, records were discovered and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when the first rule of 
colonizing is you go in there and you try and destroy as much as you can that tells people about yeah. their history. Because yeah. I would, I would absolutely love to see a revival of this with more of what we know now. Yeah. And, or just another, because black history pageants, as you're seeing, used to be a thing. Like, this is just the best one that I was able to locate, but like... We don't have video of them because this is in the silver nitrate era of film. Yeah. And so that's when everything gets destroyed. And unless there's a salt mine somewhere that has this next to El Apostle, then <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still bitter about that one. <laughs> but anyway, um, it it's one of those things that the only way that you could really see these is to recreate them. Yes. You're talking about it being in a in a salt mine. Is like, are you bitter about it or are you salty? Womp womp. <laughs> hey, I made a joke without cursing this time. <laughs> yes, you did. So it's an improvement. Um, and then in the pageant, they talk about the, the third uh, gift. Well, I'm not going to say that word. The third the third gift of the black people was the gift of faith, and uh, which you know, yeah, because it's like like I say, because that's one of those things that like. Every freaking culture in the world had faith. Like faith is like one of the yes. number one common human mm -hmm. attributes. And and uh... when you think about it, though, because so many Americans thought that oh, we're bringing Christianity to a godless people, you've got to go. No, they had gods. They had religion. They had religion that looked like yours. <laughs> in fact, the first Christians were Ethiopian. Which isn't talked about necessarily in this, and probably should have been, but yeah, like, yeah, that's that's why they had to say the gift of faith because it's like no, Africans have religion. Everybody has. <laughs> Everybody religion. has a religion. It makes me think about Pippin though with mm -hmm. with Charlemagne. Let us spread the love of Christ by the sword. Yes. And uh, they did have, I did think it was interesting they were talking about one part when you were reading, um, when they were basically trying to show the, the crossing of bringing uh, Africans to the New World. And I'm trying to remember the specific way that you read it, but, they, but it was like just motioning to signify the waves mm -hmm. and stuff of the ocean. Oh, and like before you have them even going to the New World, you have uh, the... Uh, Islamic people coming into Africa and Africa taking Islam and you have sort of this back and forth between uh, the indigenous religions versus Islamic religion and how that starts to merge and then you see the seeds being sown for slavery with the uh, people who were portraying the Islamic people taking slaves and Manamusa, which it's kind of interesting to see that being put alongside Manamusa because um, a lot of when when you're learning about him, you don't necessarily learn about the slave trade that he had going on too, and so they actually showed that in this, which I think is kind of huge for something written in nineteen. 13 so fair that's that's a pretty big thing but like they they show that to lead into the next episode the next quote-unquote gift yeah. i would argue that this isn't a gift it, but i'm not wb du bois so you know and and uh it kind of reminds me of lessons like mm -hmm. the thing is like uh hardship teaches you something yeah and but yeah, and then that goes into the fourth gift, which was uh, the gift of humiliation, and uh, I guess I can I can read this part. This gift shows how men can bear even the hell of Christian slavery and live. Yes. So I will read that in context because I think that'd be fair to say that slavery could be equated to uh, to that. Yeah. Um, and it kind of it talks through that, but then the it says that the next gift is the the gift of struggle towards freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's talking about just them being in that hell, trying to yeah get out of it yeah and uh, and which and then it kind of it comes all around with uh, the last gift being um, the gift of freedom and yes. uh, 
the freedom of the workers, men of New York. Uh, keep silence and hear ye this. But then it comes into the the last gift, which was the the gift of the freedom for workers kind yeah. of thing. So it's just people earning their freedom, and even if uh, that was more or less just on paper and not in mm -hmm. practicality. Uh, yeah, until later. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, it's it's a very extravagant pageant, and I really wish that black history pageants were a thing again. I would not mind if that became a thing. Me either, because, like, especially listening to you read this, when I was just trying my best to visualize it, I, was, I had to, of course, for the time it was written, I had to give, I had to forgive some of the historical bits that were mm -hmm. a little inaccurate, but um, I'm like, with a revision, this could be quite the spectacle. Yes, and you could, you could really, like... I, I can see sort of the need to show more positives than negatives, but I do think that in a revision or in a new black history pageant, don't pull your punches. No. Don't pull the punches. Like, like they don't pull punches necessarily in this, but... No, it, it does it does take a... a a hard dive into the, mm -hmm. the ugliness of certain yeah. times. Um, but it does it, like I said, in a, like a epic poetic yeah. kind of way. And I suppose too, I shouldn't say that it pulls any punches because um, they just, they don't cover what happens after the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. Because that is one of, I would say one of the darkest periods in our history, and it lasted so long. And you still have the echoes of it, because that's where you get Jim Crow. That's where you get lynchings. That's where you get segregation, like, just the... Well, segregation is Jim Crow, but Jim Crow wasn't just the white people's colored fountains versus the black colored fountains it was also you weren't allowed to vote and it was you weren't allowed to live here and it's it, and then you know you would you a, a new version of this would definitely be pretty hard to watch but it would be really important and i i would love to see a new black history pageant that covers everything or tries to cover every period um, and I'd love to see it in the format of Star of Ethiopia. I think that would be really just, that, that is something that I feel is needed, especially right now in the period of people wondering why Black Lives Matter is a thing that exists, mm -hmm. and wondering why a lot of us are so mad. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, watching episode of BTB. And he was talking about that some of these people's philosophies are, oh, well, they're just faking it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're you're just faking the, the discrimination. You're faking the, the racism. It's it's. Yeah. Which my yeah. question is how? I mean, OK, you've got people like Jesse Smollett being an idiot, but oh, yeah, that, that is a tiny, tiny fraction of what is going on, folks. Like it, it's it. It didn't end with Dr. King. It didn't end with Obama. <laughs> Obama didn't fix racism. It still exists, y'all. So I think I think that a black history pageant needs to happen again. You know, everything old is new again. We should have done this in 2013, but... <laughs> people are getting the measles again. Like yeah, we... <laughs> people are getting the measles again. Nazis are back. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else is... What else is coming back around? I'm sure that prohibition's going to rear its ugly head again. <laughs> Maybe a stock market crash in 2029. <laughs> and then we'll have a Great Depression from 2030 to 2044. Right before World War Three. Well, World War Three would take place between 2038 and 2044. I mean, it doesn't have to exactly line up, okay? I don't know, I'm just saying, everything old is new again. Or, with the speed of everything being crunched into one thing, it might happen tomorrow. We don't know. It's been a real upbeat episode. <laughs> yes, it has been. Kay has not had enough coffee today. 
Mm, I agree with that. K doesn't want to put up with this junk anymore. <laughs> K is mad. And Warren agrees with K's anger. Warren is madder. <laughs> Uh, it's it's sort of that curse of the witch, like you get all of the rage that I feel, and I get all of the other emotions that you feel. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. We were watching Steven Universe, and you're sitting here going, wow, that was kind of a sad episode, and I'm just tears streaming yeah. down my face. Well, you're funny. You go, yes, it was. You reach over, grab a tissue, and I see, oh, oh you, you got teary-eyed. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I... I don't know. I I was able to find some photos from Star of Ethiopia that I'll put up on the Instagram. Oh, cool. I'd like to see that. Yeah, there. I mean, there's not a ton of photos because, you know, they didn't document it as well as I would have liked. But it was, yeah, I mean, it was. It was I'm the, not in charge of it, so it was the age of not good quality photography yeah. anyway. Yeah. So like we've got. Um, I was gonna joke. It's the hold still era of photography. It's it's a little bit that area, yeah, but, like, we've got some of the pageant people. We've got the Queen of Sheba here. We've got Ethiopia. Yeah, we've got Candace uh, of uh, Ethiopia. And it's cool. Yeah, like, uh, I just, I wish beyond, I wish beyond everything that we had more from this, like, <sighs> but, you know. You know, history likes to get rid of things. The most that we have are these few pictures from uh, the pageants. So, what may, what may be necessary is to revise it. I think I think a revival would be pretty awesome of this of this show because it would, especially a revival that expanded on it and that changed some of the more inaccurate and problematic stuff in it change it to be more accurate and then be more historically relevant. Yeah, be more historically relevant cuz we know more now. So we can do more. So we should do more. We should like yeah. Ooh. You should call the Deboya estate. Email the Deboya estate. You know, it would be interesting to see like cuz I'm I'm too lazy to actually <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not lazy. I am too tired <laughs> all the time to actually be able to do something like that. But other people out there that are in the theater community that have a lot more pull, y'all should bring this back. <laughs> y'all should bring back black history pageants and film them for free for folks everywhere to see because it's educational. And I want to see it. And Yeah, and I want to see it. Like, put it on YouTube. Put it on YouTube. Have it streamable for everybody. Disable the comments. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, the, that's part of... That's a little bit of the K history on why I do not have comments enabled on most of my videos. <laughs> if you see my face. Yeah. So, that was Star of Ethiopia. I wish I could see the Star of Ethiopia. Me too. So, next episode, we're going to be covering uh, black female playwrights. And the first one that I'm going to have us talk about is Angelina Weld Grimke, um, who I probably mispronounced the name of. And that will be another longer play that I'll read you. And then uh, I do want to try to work in another black female play but we'll see er, uh, another black women's play and we'll see if I can. Um, I'm getting all these 1K productions. Yeah, because the one that I want to read you is a shorter one, but it's so fun. It's so fun. It's one of my favorite ones in this book. Well, then we got to. Yeah, we got to do it. And then um, I'm going to try to talk a little bit more about some of the more problematic tropes that show up. Um, we're going to talk about some of the uh, sort of the pre-World War II plays and Depression-era plays, and we're going to watch some 
really old musicals that <laughs> when I found them, I literally squealed with joy. Are they black and white? They are black and white. They are not the best quality, but I'm so happy that they still exist. So <laughs> we'll cover those and that'll kind of round out the month. So we're we're almost to the halfway point. Super exciting. We're halfway there. Wow! Do not touch my hair! I was just about to say I'm going to touch your hair. Wow. That was eerie. Well, I mean, you're allowed to. You're like the only person allowed to. You got the license to touch my hair. Hold up. Marriage certificate. Most... I guess marriage license, not a certificate. Meanwhile, you know, there's co-workers, well, former co-workers who just walk up and touch my hair and it's like, I'm go- I want to smack you, but I can't because I want to keep my job. Good cover, Kay. Good cover. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that'll be, uh, that'll be it for Start of Ethiopia and my little rant on we need more black pageants. Um, so yeah, next week we'll start talking about women who were playwrights and also black. Black women playwrights. That's a quicker way to say that. <laughs> We're teaching English lessons here, too. <laughs> Uh-oh. Grammar lesson from Kay. <laughs> I do done be good at talk. <laughs> so thank you all so much for listening to this episode. It's a little bit more lighthearted than our last couple. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just... I'm glad that we're sharing all of this with you guys. I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying it. Um, if you are, please give us a review on Podchaser or iTunes, or you can subscribe if you haven't already, or tell your friends to subscribe and listen to our show and review on iTunes. We actually charted in the U.S. a couple of weeks ago, and that was really fun, so we would like to chart <laughs> again. <laughs> Because that was, that was a little rush there. Help us reach more people so they can hear Kay's wonderful voice. And hear Warren's adorableness. So uh, if, if you want to help us out, feel free to donate on our Patreon or on our Coffee. Both of those are Tone Deaf Musical. You'll actually be able to find links to all of our social media, to our Patreon, to our Kofi, Coffee, Kofi. I always pronounce it wrong. I think it's coffee. I think it is coffee. It's I think it coffee. is coffee. <laughs> it just throws me off. Um, you can join the Cast Junkie Discord server, all of that, through our website, tonedeafmusical.com. That's where you can also buy some shirts, including uh, some Jello Cat paraphernalia. And one of the shirts I figure deserves the title paraphernalia because I had a little bit too much fun designing it. <laughs> a wee bit of a drug trip yes it's it's a broadway acid trip that's what it should be titled is the broadway acid trip at t-shirt instead of the jello cat or the cosmic jello cat i like cosmic jello cat though yeah i think it sounds good thanks so yeah we're we're just we're we're just glad to have you guys listening to us and uh we love being able to talk with y'all so um you can also drop us a line at tonedeafmusical at gmail.com. That's, you know, a great way if you have shows that you want us to talk about or if you have links to shows that we weren't able to see but you somehow, like, have either time-traveling devices or some secret bootleg or <laughs> something like that for shows that are no longer extant, then, yeah, hit us up with that. Or if you have, like hey, we are doing this show and our school has, our school or our theater has an archival footage and we want you to look at it, then we'll do that. In fact, at, at the end of this month, um, I wanted us to do it earlier, but we didn't get a chance to. We'll be talking about one of our fans, Jim, sent us a uh, production of her school's version of Les Miserables. And I'm super excited for us to get to watch it. So. I'm super excited for that too. We yeah. we haven't been able to just because of other stuff, but it's yeah, it's gonna... it's, it's gonna come uh, probably start of March. We'll talk about that one probably as a mini sewed, maybe a fully sewed. I don't know. Fully sewed isn't isn't as catchy as mini sewed. Um, 
I think a fully sewed is just called an episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I'm I'm just rambling. It's a full cause... fat mini sewed. <laughs> Extra large mini sewed. <laughs> some whipped cream on top, some chocolate shavings, much like our uh, next dog, because you know we've got Latte. We'll have to get her a sibling at some point. That would be. A uh, triple shot of espresso macchiato with whipped cream with a uh, caramel and this much foam on top. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for joining us this week <laughs> on Tangent, the podcast. <laughs> we're 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 just we're excited though to go through the rest of the early parts of Black theater history for this year. Warren's got a faraway look in his eyes because he knows what's coming. And, uh, yeah, it'll be... I, I hope that you guys are enjoying it, too, and enjoying these special PG-13 <laughs> episodes of Tone Deaf. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm vulgar by nature. <laughs> I just got a t-shirt idea. So that... <laughs> I was so aware of that. <laughs> this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. This has been so deaf. deaf.